Hello there, and welcome back to the Claim the Stage podcast. I'm Angela Lucier. I'm your host, and I'm so excited to be here with you today. We are already on episode 38 of the podcast. It's like, what? How, right? Like, that happens so fast. I can't believe we are, like, going into the next phase. Like, I think, like, episode 40, it's like, what are we going to do? Like, there's going to be fireworks. There are going to be puppies, cakes, a lot of candy. Anyway, I'm so excited to be here today on this episode with you because we are talking about a subject that is so critical in public speaking, and I don't believe we've really spent enough time talking about it here on this podcast. The topic of today's conversation is body language, specifically emotive agility. You're going to learn what that means from my guest, Barrett Elizabeth, who is an expert on this topic and has created an entire career around teaching it to people to be more effective communicators. And I love her take on it. I love her background and the stories she tells about how this became such a big part of her life. And I think you're going to have a new appreciation for the way you use your your body language and your tone and your breath and your energy to convey your messages. So very excited to bring you today's interview. Before we jump into that, I want to give you a quick heads up. For the last couple of months, I've been working on a crowdfunding campaign that we are launching next week on March 1st for my company, The Speaker Sisterhood. I've talked about The Speaker Sisterhood a little bit here and there on the podcast, but I wanted to spend a minute today telling you more about it because it is the most exciting work I have ever done to what it is, is it brings together women in a community to practice public speaking, which I thought would be a really fun and inspiring and confidence building activity. And what it actually is, is like the most important work I think the world needs right now (laughs) to give women strength and the confidence to speak up in the world. And we have public speaking clubs popping up all over the Northeast right now. And we need help to grow that because we're learning like this takes a lot of work to run and a lot of people. And we're looking for help on putting all of this, these pieces together. We're looking for people to join our community and join this movement of helping women to find their voice. So on March 1st, we're launching our crowdfunding campaign and our slogan is hashtag women coming on strong. We are redefining what it means to be strong women. And we're looking for everyone to participate by sharing photos of themselves on social media with our, our hashtag and sharing what it means to you to come on strong. We, we really believe that women coming on strong is what the world actually needs. We don't need to be told we're being too much or we're being too loud or we're talking too much. We need to go out and do the work that's important to us and speak up for what we believe in. So I'll be talking about that campaign more on the podcast, but would love for you to check it out. You can go to our website at speakersisterhood.com um, on Monday. We'll have information up about that and we'll have a, a place to donate. We're, we're actually launching the whole crowdfunding campaign on a new platform called ifundwomen.com. And that is just like Kickstarter, but it's for women-founded businesses. So it's very exciting to be a part of. I'm just really inspired all around to be part of this and Looking forward to meeting more of you as we build this community of women who are coming on strong. 
All right, let's, um, before we jump into the interview, I want to thank my sponsor, Kathy McNally, McNally Communications. Uh, you can say it better. She'll show you how, and you can find out more at McNallyCommunications.com. All right, let's go and talk to Bear Elizabeth all about body language and how to have a stronger presence on stage. Enjoy. Barrett Elizabeth is an emotive agility coach specializing in body language and emotional intelligence. She loves empowering people, especially women, to tap into the underrated power of body language to transform any situation in one's own sense of self. After having vocal surgery at the age of 19, Barrett was forced to become self-conscious of her body language in every moment. In recovering her voice, it became crystal clear to her that emotional habits that don't serve us well can be re-patterned through physical training and she developed emotive agility training. She studied theatrical directing and social psychology at Carnegie Mellon and NYU and has traveled the world to study physical theater techniques. She also ran her own personal training business before becoming COO of a group of fitness clubs and she has certified an EI assessment. She has spoken on emotive agility at Wharton Business School and UMass Donahue Institute and coaches individuals and children's groups to leverage the power of physical presence during difficult conversations and presentations. Wow, so much stuff. Barrett, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. <laughs> yeah, I'm just totally overwhelmed by everything you've done. I'm just like, wow, okay, this is like, you're probably the most interesting person. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> just being... Well, I'm very overwhelmed by myself sometimes too. <laughs> but it's all a fusion. I feel like my whole life is a fusion. <laughs> That's a great way of putting it because it seems like what you've done is taken a bunch of diff different stuff and put it together to create something really valuable and unique. So I think fusion is the perfect word. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so why don't you start by telling us a little bit about what you do and, and how you got into this? Sure. Um, so I'm an emotive agility coach. So I, I work with people to help them develop their own sense of presence and their own expression and to help them make meaningful connections with other people, all this like through the power of body language. And I got into it through um, my experience with theater. And as you mentioned um, a little bit about my experience with my voice and how that um, impacted me growing up. And um, right now I work with people and, and also speak at companies, um, helping people to develop their presence when they're going to be put on the spot, essentially, when they're preparing for an interview or giving wedding vows or um, making a presentation where they really want to inspire some a group of people at work. Um, so, so yeah, it really came from my love of theater and my background in psychology. And how did you find out that this was important? I know um, you mentioned having vocal surgery. Was there something else that happened or like, how did this become such a, an area of focus for you? Yeah, good, good question. So it was, it was, I really started, I really realized it really became an area of focus when I realized how much my own voice and my own body language impacted my own confidence. And so in high school, I was very outgoing and I was the star of every musical and I did a lot of plays and I was in every chorus. And I found out um, when I was 19 that I had to have vocal sur surgery because the way I was using my voice was actually damaging it. And um, so it was it was really fascinating having this experience because I had studied musical theater and then I um, went on into the directing side um, when I had this 
when I realized I had this, this, uh, injury I needed to work with. And I, it was, I don't know. I know it's not very common to have vocal surgery or vocal therapy, but it was in, by the time I was 19, I sort of sounded like I was like a smoker or like I had a, <laughs> a late night out <laughs> every night. <laughs> and, and, um, so before I had nodules on my vocal cords and those are basically like calluses. So before I could have this surgery to remove those calluses from my vocal cords, I needed to learn to speak in a completely different way. And I went to a speech pathologist in New York city. And for a whole year, it was an extremely tedious process. Um, (laughs) you will, this is a funny image. I was sitting in front of a mirror holding a flashlight, looking into my mouth at the muscles in my mouth, practicing, literally retraining my muscles to my lift, lifting my soft palate <laughs> to speak differently. <laughs> so, so I said to my speech pathologist, like, why did this happen to me? Like, this isn't genetic. This is, I knew it wasn't like a disease I had caught. Um, and you know, I'm sure I can't be the only person who likes to talk and sing a lot. And she said, um, two things that really surprised me. And and this is really what, what made me realize this connection between my confidence and my body language. And she called these two things, these two syndromes I had ETP and NGE. So ETP stood for not ETP stood for eager to please. And so when I would speak, I would stick my neck out as if I was trying to get approval from the other person. And that actually cut off the air in my vocal cords and damaged my voice. And then she she noticed something else in my habits, which she called NGE, um, not good enough. And when I would speak, I'd just breathe from the top of my chest, kind of like I was I could always do more, kind of like I was always trying to keep up and I could always felt like I wasn't doing enough. And um, she was so right about that, that it it really, really struck me. And in correcting these um, physical patterns, like bringing my neck back, I noticed that when I spoke, you know, from a, literally nothing, inter, nothing internally changed, like nothing internally changed about my emotions or my confidence, just literally speaking with my neck aligned with my spine. Actually, I would, I would come across with more integrity in what I was saying. And I noticed people started to take me more seriously, which actually reinforced my own self-worth literally wow. from just, you know, speaking differently with my posture. And then the, with the, I also learned to breathe lower. And so when I would speak, you know, without that, you know, sort of hectic, sort of shallow breath, when I, when I took deeper breaths before I would speak, I instantly noticed that people took me more seriously (laughs) and, and had more respect for what I was saying. And in turn, I ended up having more respect for myself. Um, so that was a powerful transformation and that really got me interested in studying theater techniques that focus on the physicality of the actor and how they use their face, posture, breath, movement, tone of voice to express emotions on stage. So are you able to see that in other people now, like the ETP and the NGE, like when you're working with them? Is that part of your work now? Yes, yes. And, And I should say at first, I didn't see it in other people when it was fresh, you know, when it had just happened to me, I was super self-conscious of my own, mm-hmm. of my own presentation. And now I do, I, I see people who have great content, great ideas, great things to say. And I think, oh, wow, if they just lifted their soft palate or opened their voice, um, 
it could actually, yeah, <laughs> it could actually um, calm them down and also like communicate it in a more powerful way. So I do see those those similar habits and in, in other people and, and people often think it's, yeah, like that it's something about what they're saying when really you can ground yourself and become a lot more present through your body. So when you're, when you're watching a speech or you're sitting in the audience and you see someone up on stage, are you watching that the whole time? Is it like just ingrained? Now you're really focused on the way people are presenting and their body language and the way they're breathing and stuff like that? I would say I'm always, I'm always super impressed <laughs> when I see people who execute their body language deliberately. I'm not like a, sort of like a body language detective. <laughs> like I'm always like, you know, checking in, but I, it really, it really resonates with me when I, when I see, when I can see someone who has, it's so obvious to me when people make deliberate choices with their body language that enhance their communication. Whereas like I, when other people watch someone speaking, they might think that that's just happening, happening naturally. And it's so obvious to me when someone is deliberately communicating with their gestures, their inflections to, to kind of in service of the audience. Mm. So that, and that's always, that's always very impressive. That's something I see that other people might think is natural. And that really, it doesn't come naturally. You really do. Um, those are all deliberate choices. Can it's you, not like oh, that person's just charismatic or that person's just really good. It, those are always deliberate choices. <laughs> can you give us an example of a, a really good gesture that would help to deliver a point or to add power to the sentence? Sure. Like when what I there's a lot of there's a lot of different things. Um, what I would say is it's really it's really important to it's real there's so many there's so many gestures so in one case it's very important to um what i like to do to tell people in in preparation is to kind of score what you're going to say with body language gestures so for example if you know what you're going to say and you have you have it you have it memorized or you have it written out to deliberately add a um Add an inf at a higher inflection at the end of your voice when you say that, or actually to um, put your hands on your hips um, as you say something, or because I'm such a big fan of the power pose, um, and so the the power pose, what it really does is there's actually have I don't know if you've heard of Amy Cuddy's power posing. Yeah. Okay, so her TED Talk is awesome, and it actually decreases your cortisol, your stress hormone, and increases your testosterone, and that's something she recommends doing for even just two minutes before you give a presentation or you're in a difficult situation. But when you are in the middle of presenting, you can influence the way you feel by changing your your position as you're speaking. So you can actually, it doesn't need to be something you do in preparation. Um, by putting a, deliberately taking a power pose with your hands on your hips if it's relevant to your presentation. And another thing is, the breath. I mean, there are five, there, there are five elements of our physical presence. We can always deliberately make a facial expression to illustrate a point. We can always deliberately change our posture, as I mentioned. Um, but you can, you can literally take a breath and it can really make a big difference to what you're saying. <laughs> so like you could take a slow, deep breath versus you could take like a quick, fast breath or a slow, deep breath. <sighs> 
And that can illustrate your point and it can also affect the way you feel at the same time. Oh my God. I love it. Okay. We should back up for a second. I'm like just so interested in what you I do that. <laughs> no, I feel like we could probably turn this into a six hour conversation, but we should probably back up to like what, what emotional or emotive agility is <laughs> and just get to, you know, the basics of what is, what is emotive agility? What is this thing that you spend your time working on? <laughs> okay. Okay. Great question. <laughs> so Emotive agility is the power we have to change the way we feel and the way we connect with others through our body language. And it's a term I coined um, when I was in NYU um, writing my master's thesis. And I, it, it really is, it's, I don't say this lightly, I, I think emotive agility is this underrated power that we have to change the direction of our lives through our body language. And that may sound drastic, but if you're in a job interview and this is like your dream job and you're in there, <laughs> that the way that you use your body language to manage your own emotions and to connect with that person in the interview can really determine whether or not you get the job. It's not going to be the only factor, of course, <laughs> but um, it's the it's it's something that is is sort of like the next. It's really embodied emotional intelligence. I would say, so when I was studying actor training techniques at NYU, there was a very specific technique that had to do with the physicality of emotions. And I was doing, I took many, many workshops on this technique. It was called Rasa Boxes, developed by Richard Schechner, wrote my thesis on it. And I said to myself, I have no interest in using this technique to make an awesome theater production. This should be in everyday life. People should have these skills. People who are not actors should have access to these skills. Um, and I found emotional intelligence as, as, a, as a model, and I modified the actor training techniques to teach emotional intelligence skills, and that became emotive agility training. Hmm. Gotcha. So I'm trying to want, I'm trying to figure out how to apply this to public speaking. If I were about to deliver a speech, how would I use emotive agility to help me to either prepare or to actually give the speech so that it's more successful for me and for the audience? Great question. So once you have the speech prepared, um, memorizing the content is one part of it. Um, but once you have the speech prepared, it's, it's super important to not just memorize it, but to embody it over and over and over again. So I like to have people repeatedly, I would say to repeatedly um, repeat out loud in your room, in the mirror, to a friend, um, your, what you're going to say, but also um, notice really the presence that you're bringing to it. So it's not just practicing the speech, but it's practicing your presence. So practicing... Um, the facial expressions, posture, breath, movement, tone of voice that you're using and looking at those all as tools, looking at those all as options and tools. So once you've chosen the words, um, layering on a certain tone of voice or layering on a different kind of movement that you think would make sense in that to illustrate your point. And basically, we really you know, I've had instances where I work with people who who have the who don't feel prepared, even though they've got it totally memorized. And it's because it's hard to 
it's hard to kind of show up and be yourself once you've got content memorized in your head. So what you you really have this power to impact the way people feel because a lot of people, the people who are watching your speech, they're going to, each of them are going to remember different amounts of what you said, but everyone's going to remember how you made them feel. Hmm. And so using um, really your physical presence to you, there's different, there's different emotions that I, that I use. There's eight of them. <laughs> so um, using your physical presence to convey emotion throughout the piece and really figuring out, okay, so in this situation, I want them to feel the fear that I'm talking about. And how do I demonstrate that fear with my face, posture, breath, movement, tone of voice? In this situation, I want them to feel surprise. So how do I demonstrate that? So it's, to, it's basically looking at your content through the emotional presence that you're bringing. Hmm. So you said there's eight. What what are they again? Oh, so there are um, they are they are called rasas. <laughs> mm-hmm. So rasa is the energy. It rasa is the feeling. This is an ancient Indian theater principle. So rasa is what you feel when I make an expression. So it's essentially like a vibe. Hmm. So there's eight emotional rasas. So one of them is anger. Another one is sadness. Another one is fear, disgust. And then there is confidence slash courage and pride. That's one. And then there's surprise, love, and joy. Hmm. So I think of these as the elemental table of emotion. And all of these has have varying intensities. There could be very extreme terror or just slight nervousness, right? So each one of them has varying intensities. And each of these eight can combine to make more complex feelings. And rasa is really the vibe. It's really conveying that emotion in your communication. It's really allowing the other person to feel that too. So I would think that being able to convey an emotion like fear would be different from person to person, but maybe you would argue it could be the same based on using a a certain type of um, hand gesture or tone in the voice or um, speed of of the delivery, because I, I, I tend to think that it depends on the person, but maybe it doesn't. What do you think about that? That that is that's such a good question, because there because it does depend on the person. Um, it does depend on the person in the way that they they convey fear. And there's and so. So there that brings up the question of authenticity, right? Exactly. So, yeah. it's, yes. So, so there are certain facial expressions that are universal throughout cultures, and we know this. And there are certain face, even like you know, tribal regions and corporate people in the business world will recognize the exact same face the exact same way. There's about six of them, and Paul Ekman came up with them um, in his vast research. So, but then there is this question of authenticity. So it has to do with how do you convey fear and how do you use your own body language? And it has to do with channeling that inside you. Cause we all have these eight elemental emotions, right? So it's, it's channeling that not by thinking about, let me just think about a time I was really scared and talk about that to the audience, but it's really thinking about, it's really, con- it's triggering that in yourself from the outside in. And that that is, it looks different on every physical body, <laughs> even though we could say, yes, there are certain facial expressions that are 
that are de- that are caught you know definitely codified as emotional they convey emotion but um it's what does that look like in your physical body and being authentic when you when you it's tapping into that in a physical way versus tapping into that in a in a mental way right okay does that answer your question (laughs) yeah i mean (laughs) i don't think it's a simple answer because it does vary from person to person and i've always been so um I don't know. I I get really turned off when people say you have to do this with your arms when you're giving a speech about X and you have to like move around like this on the stage. And I immediately want to say like, don't tell me what to do. (laughs) And I also want to say like, it doesn't feel natural for me to do that. So that's going to come across to the audience and it's not going to look authentic. But I think what you're saying is like, interpret that in a way that works for you and then use it to help accentuate the speech. But if it's, if it doesn't look natural, then find a way to to make it natural or, or use something that would work for you, right? Absolutely. It's open yourself up to those options. So this is more about allowing your body, the, the options are your face, posture, breath, movement, tone of voice. Open yourself up, warm up those options so that when you have that impulse, that you use you use the, your body language to express it, that it doesn't just get stuck in your head. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah. you, you can like, you can, um, you, like when I was telling you about how I was, um, kind of feeling like I wasn't like good enough, like always trying to hurry up. I, I, you know, I deliberately like brought about that type of breath and it does it, it, you know, that's deliberate in order to, to convey it. But what I think that speakers don't do often enough is, is actually, I'll leverage these options we have. And so, you know, you can do, you want to allow it to come out naturally, but you want to warm up the availability for it to be there. So if you never, if you don't express in a really, you could, you could like warm up your face, you know, I have a warm up for people to do like move your face in every single direction, make it as small as you can, as wide as you can, um, kind of like allowing that facility to be there. And actually a mode of agility at training is all about going through the expression of those eight emotions um, in your physicality so that when you, you know, get into the situation or presentation, you can access them more easily when the impulse comes up for you. (laughs) Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. What are a few action steps people could use right now? Okay, so one of them is power pose. That's one of them. Um, Holding that pose for two minutes is it's on Amy Cuddy's TED talk. Super, super great um, to change your internal experience from the outside in. Another one is, um, you know, taking your taking actually what you're going to say and looking at it written down and kind of noticing what actually scoring it the way that a director would score a script in terms of, you know, how your how your face posture breath movement tone of voice is going to come into play so saying oh i'm going to raise my voice here or i'm going to like lean over at this point things like that another one is pr- i mean it's practicing it practicing it practicing it on video sooner rather than later like not waiting till you're wait, waiting till you feel like this speech is great and then filming it like really sooner rather than later cuz that can inform so much about how you're holding yourself and how you're carrying yourself. Um, and then reciting 
you know, re going back and reciting, reciting it again, um, after viewing yourself on video, it can, it'll all of a sudden you'll be like, Oh, I know how to, I know what I want to do with my neck there. Oh, I want, I know how I want to hold my hands there because you, you see how you looked <laughs> and you instantly say, Oh, this would make it so much better. So you want to do that like early on versus once you've already, um, feel like you've mastered your speech. Does that, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. And I think the first time I saw a video of myself speaking, I was so freaked out. I couldn't believe what I looked like. It was so different from what I thought was going on. <laughs> and yeah. even though I like turned off the video 30 seconds into it and didn't go back to it for three months, it was still a really good <laughs> um, opportunity for me to just get a sense of what the world saw when I spoke. And it took it took me three months to go back to it because I was so surprised. I really didn't think I looked that way. And it was it was really it was kind of like kind of stirred up something inside of me and made me realize I look really weak and I look really scared and my hands are all over the place and my face is like crinkled up like I'm confused. And that was just it just blew my mind. So I totally agree with what you're saying. Watch a video sooner rather than later because it, it gives you so much information about how the world perceives you and can change things so much faster than, you know, just going for months and months and months and hoping that there's an improvement. It does. And that really speaks to how the power that like you have to change that because you could you could so quickly see you could so quickly change all those things that we that you don't like about your the way you're coming across like I like ditto I've had the exact same experience <laughs> and and we have the power to change that it's not like it's just about making the inside match the outside yeah. you know it's yeah. it's not about forcing something that you're not from the outside it's oh I have the it's not you know body language is taken for granted but it's it really can you can so powerfully you have all these choices that you can make with your body language that can bring the outside up to speed with the inside and communicate who you really are. I have a question. I'm wondering how this translates just to go off of public speaking for a second to like dating and networking and how you present yourself when you're meeting someone for the first time. Can you train yourself to create a body language that's open and warm and friendly and confident so that whenever you're in those situations, you're portraying yourself in the same way that you feel? You are talking to a former personal trainer, and I 188% believe that, yes, you can do this, because it just, you know, dawned on me as I was just, as a, I was in a personal trainer during grad school, and that's not my passion, like, you know, the body language theater is my passion, and I'm like, I'm training these muscles, your body language, it's all muscular, for goodness sake, like, I was sitting there with a a flashlight in my mouth training the muscles in my around my vocal cords <laughs> like you not you, you don't without even having to get that detailed you this is it's I absolutely believe that you can practice and train your body language because it's entirely muscular we have motor neurons the way that we improve our you know when we have knee pain the way that we strengthen the area around our knee so that we can walk better is not different than you know training our shoulders to to stay in a back and open posture or training the muscles in our face to um, express more or less than we prefer to <laughs> you could it's all muscular body language is muscular and I really believe that since 
the muscles affect your own emotional experience, that it's really worth training. Wow. Okay. That seems very accessible <laughs> and, and way less scary. And like, how am I, will, how will I figure this out? Cause if, if, if I were to learn a couple different ways of standing or holding myself, I could m remember that and keep doing it. So that's good news. Are there any mistakes you see people make when it comes to body language and how to present their thoughts in a way that helps to captivate rather than confuse people through their body? Um, I think that, I think that the the fewer gestures you use, you know, using very small gestures um, is not is not helpful. Um, and then, you know, using gestures that that may um, that may feel, you know, you may feel like you did something in a grand gesture, or you may feel like you really ex explicitly pointed something out. And it just very small, minimal gestures are not are not helpful. And of course, if you watch yourself on video, you know, one could observe that. Um, also, there are unconscious gestures that we make, um, like maybe like picking at your nails or biting your lip. Like I didn't know I bit my lip so frequently until I saw myself on video. I was like, oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> like, um, so, and, and also incongruent gestures. Um, so I know it is a fine line between, you know, feeling forced versus, um, you know, doing things naturally, but doing gestures that, that are not congruent with what you're talking about. So really being deliberate about the gestures that you use and making sure that they're emphasizing a point. Like if you're showing two different levels, having one hand higher than the other to point out those levels. Um, and you know, one way you can bring your gestures, you can kind of train yourself to be more congruent is connecting this is in preparation, kind of like connecting your inhalations and your exhalations to your movements. So a really simple example of that would be like inhaling, raising your arms as high as you could go as long as you're inhaling, and then lowering your arms as you're exhaling. That's a very simple example. But that kind of training can really sync up your, your gestures with your breath. And that's something that tends to get out of sync when we get nervous. Hmm. Anything else you want to add about emotive agility, presence on stage before we jump into the lightning round? Um, I really like what what just came up about training. Um, I really, maybe I, I didn't emphasize that enough. I really believe in regular training <laughs> of our emotional expression. If you're a person who is a communicator um, and and that's that's part of emotive agility training is I envision it kind of like a practice, not just a one time thing to to prepare for one event, like one date or one networking event or presentation. But um, I think the practice of going through those eight emotions um, is super powerful because it helps you access access them authentically when you're in the moment. Awesome. All right, let's jump into the lightning round. We have five quick questions with Barrett. Number one, what's the number one piece of advice you have for women who want to be well-known speakers? To be, to really, to really get excited to be seen, um, to really, to really be um, aware of 
and present and really enjoy that that sense of being in your body and using your body as a vehicle to communicate not just what you're saying but who you are i think that's what people react to most strongly is is you being you and who you are <laughs> yeah number two do you have a personal operating philosophy and if so what is it oh my goodness it is my initials b <laughs> it is like a kind of like a like my personal operating philosophy is to you like chip away everything that's not you so that you can be yourself and i I got that from a, a theater director who talks about approaching the actor as a sculptor. So really uncovering everything you're chipping away, everything you're not to uncover the sculpture inside of you. So I always work on that. Oh, that's awesome. Number three, what advice would you give to your 25 year old self? So much advice. <laughs> <laughs> um, you didn't know me when I was 25. Well, definitely. Um, definitely don't get caught up in things and stick to really that that truth that has been I'm I'm bringing that up again but that has been a theme for me is to be um true to my passions and true to who I am um and not getting influenced by you know shiny bright objects in other directions <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and number four what advice do you have for your 75 year old self keep working out do yoga. <laughs> um, I, my goal is to live to 120. It's a goal. Oh, wow. I'll, yeah, that's my goal. I just have had that number in my head for a while. So m motion is lotion, someone said to me. <laughs> I, <laughs> someone's physical therapist, my aunt's physical therapist told her this. It's true. And just like moving, um, moving is, and I'm also passionate about traveling. So if, if I'm not going to be moving I won't be able to travel so that would be my advice <laughs> so I'm I'm curious since you want to live to 120 do you have goals for each decade of life or is it just like I just want to live that long and I'll figure it out as I go um I don't have goals for each decade but I do have goals for like oh by the time I'm I, I have goals for 40 and 50 <laughs> <laughs> cool um number five if you had to pick one object to represent yourself what would you pick um, I, wait, this, the, fir the first thing that came to mind is a, um, a sparkling purple Swarovski crystal. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you pick that? <laughs> I mean, I love anything that's purple and sparkles. A purple vibrates at the highest frequency. I guess that's why I'm attracted to it. <laughs> I'm just literally put purple sparkles on it. This is going to sound, it is girly. It's a girly thing to say, but it, it really turns me on and gets me impassioned. <laughs> like it really like stimulates creativity. I have purple lights in my like purple Christmas lights in my bedroom, but the Swarovski crystal is near and dear to my heart because I, I made my prom costume out of Swarovski crystals and I glued them to a tuxedo bib. Uh, yeah, tuxedo <laughs> bib. <laughs> and, then, and so I really, really like the Swarovski crystal. <laughs> Do you have a picture of that? <laughs> yes, I hot Oh my God, you should definitely share that, please. <laughs> yeah, and um, my cell phone case is 
purple and green glitter and it's in water. So I just turn my phone upside down all day long and watch the purple and green glitter and stars fall down. And it's like my favorite possession ever. <laughs> oh, we're such kindred spirits. Yeah. That is, that is a great combination. Green and purple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I love that you picked that. All right. Lastly, what does it mean to you to claim the stage? Um, not being afraid to impact other people with your presence, mm. like really, really bringing your presence to really connecting with people in this, in the room by, by calling the stage yours, <laughs> by mm. being your, by showing up on that stage and being you. Yeah. Um, Bear, is there anything you'd like to share with my audience, like any special offers or events or promotions? I um, I actually have a, a workshop going on this Saturday on embodied communication, which is kind of like an intro to emotive agility. And that's um, in Hadley at the East Street Studios between 11 and 3. Um, and I also have a um, a confidence workout that helps you develop your power pose on my site <laughs> oh nice um, yeah so it's like so um it's it's emotiveagility.com all the information is there okay and are you on social media yes i have a facebook page um barrett elizabeth um is a good one to search you could search barrett elizabeth or emotive agility Awesome. Barrett, thanks so much for coming on the show today. This was a really great conversation and really helpful for thinking about body language and how we're showing up in the world. Thank you so much. It was so great to talk to you about this. Woo! Love her. <laughs> as soon as she said purple sparkles, I'm like, sisters for life. <laughs> Um, I hope you enjoyed today's interview as much as I did. I love learning about this stuff. As I said, I had such an aversion to being told how I should look on stage for such a long time. And I have learned the power of using your body to accentuate your points and also to help the audience to feel the way you want them to feel when you're done with your presentation. So I hope that was helpful to you. And, uh, you know, there's always more fun coming up. I've got a lot of, a lot more guests planned and, um, yeah, be sure to check out our crowdfunding campaign next week. Just start to learn more about joining our community. I'll be talking about it again on next week's episode because that is our launch date. And what's very cool is that our campaign aligns with Women's History Month. So we'll be celebrating strong women in history as well as we get out there and inspire more people to be part of what we are building. I want to thank you so much for tuning in and being part of this podcast experiment <laughs> and listening and just being so amazing. If you have any comments you want to share or recommendations of guests, please don't hesitate to email me at Angela at Angela Lucier.us. And um, please would love to hear from you. Any comments you have could always use constructive feedback or just to say, hey, I love purple sparkles too. All right, guys, that's it for me. As always, stop waiting, start creating. I'll see you next time. <laughs>